Welcome. You are about to enter the Wooniverse. In five, four, three, two, one. Transport complete. Come inside a mystical, magical portal between worlds. Angels are like alchemists. They can transmute dark energy into power. Where playful curiosity leads the way and beyond. And fire is that quality of dynamism, passion, adventure. You won't believe the ahas that come up in every single conversation. Where everybody wins, happy money pours in. I can't wait to explore this enchanting space with you. But if we don't take that journey, we don't evolve into the person that is really capable of fulfilling the dream and the vision. Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast coming to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. Hi there, and welcome to Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. Listen, I'm your host, Colette Baron-Reed, and do I ever have the most amazing guest with us today? He's a transformational truth teacher, Coot Blackson. Coot is also a beloved inspirational speaker, visionary guide, and the best-selling author of You Are The One and The Magic of Surrender. He speaks at countless events. He organizes around the world as well as outside events, including AFEST, YPO, which is Young President's Organization, and EO, which is Entrepreneur's Organization. And he's also a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, where I met him because I'm also a member too. And he is the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award, which is very prestigious, I might add. He's widely considered a next-generation leader in the field of personal development with his practical wisdom for modern times. And we're so happy to welcome him here today. Welcome to the Wooniverse, Coot. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for that incredible welcome. I feel I'm very honored. You know, I got to say, I I was so dying to talk to you. We were at this event in Mexico together and you've been there before, right? So you were not so new. Is that right? Or were you new? Yes. Right. So I was a newbie. So I was like, but I I was like, oh, I got to go talk to him. I really want. And then you gave us your book. And I typically don't read the books that are given out at events because I like, I don't have time or whatever, but yours really struck me. And since I couldn't like get a place, because we kept sitting down at different tables and things like that. And when I want to talk to you, okay, another time. Anyhow, so I read it and I was like, oh my God, this guy is like talking to me in my head, like my own voice. And I was just so struck by the depth of your writing, even though you like to think it's simple. It's just so beautifully written. It's so engaging. I couldn't put it down. I read it on the plane and then I got super busy. And then I invited you. Of course, we've Mm -hmm. talked a few times now. I've been on your podcast. And then the other thing is, is that I, I signed up to your Instagram. Instagram channel. And I typically don't go on social media much because it drives me bananas, but I follow just a few people, or at least I follow a few people, but I actually go to a few people's pages to see what they're Mm. saying. (laughs) And you're one of them. I love it. Mm. So if you, you're going to get, everybody who's listening, you are going to find out how to get on there because it's worth watching like every single day. It's worth it because you have something really motivational to say and very sometimes confrontational, but in such a loving way. I I just, I love it. No wonder they call you the truth teacher. So let's go back to when you were a little (laughs) (laughs) boo-boo. What was your childhood like? How'd you get to how you- (laughs) Wow, wow. My child, you know, I I think my childhood was quite normal 
although people would say it was a bit different. I thought everyone had my childhood. You know, as a young boy, I was very empathetic kid. And so I, I felt people's pain very deeply. And there was always a part of me that wanted to like alleviate suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like, mm -hmm. but I was, I was always helping people and trying to be compassionate to people. And so I think one of the things that shaped my life was the foundation of how I grew up. Like my first memories as a young boy was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand, the gravel that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear. And the same man who sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're, you're not sick, stand up. But I haven't walked in 10 years. Do you believe? Yeah, I believe. Well, if you believe, well, get up, stand up. And you know, a miracle, but it didn't, it didn't occur to me that this was a bit unusual. It just seemed so normal. A person would come in, they hadn't been able to see, he would touch their eyes and sight was restored. Somebody would come in with cancer. Somebody would come in, let's say with crutches and they hadn't walked in three years and he would pray for them and they would start walking and running around. And so- Wait, is this your dad? This man was my father. Oh, wow. And, and he was considered like the miracle man of Africa, um, he was a minister, had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, hundreds of thousands of followers, was the spiritual teacher, advisor to like kings and presidents and, and had a huge church in London, about 5,000 people every, mm -hmm. every Sunday. I call him like an African Siddha, you know, kind of in the vein of like a Sai Baba or Muktananda because he went to India in the 60s, which I didn't know till I was in my 20s, but went to India in the 60s and had a kind of enlightenment experience in the Himalayas. So he was a very mystical, spiritual, metaphysical guy. And, and, and so I grew up with this, you know, even though we had these churches, it wasn't so much about like, you know, you have to give your life to Jesus, otherwise you're going to hell. It was, it was more about right. Jesus realized his true innate identity as the Christ. And we all have the, the Christ consciousness within us. So I grew up in that kind mm, of metaphysical. I love that. You know, un understanding. And so my speaking career began at age eight when I was basically thrown into the audience one Sunday. My father said, speak. And words started coming out of my mouth. And then at age 14, I was ordained as a minister. And that's when my life changed once again, where all of a sudden my father announces to the congregation my son is taking over. He is my successor and everyone goes crazy. And the word spread to Africa. Hundreds of thousands of people were excited. Everyone but me. Because <laughs> in that moment, I knew that something was off. There was an intuition. A something inside of me just was not, it wasn't resonating. And I knew that this was not my path. My entire life was basically set out for me, planned for me, pre-scripted for me. But it just didn't align. But I think like many of us, I was too afraid to speak my truth. Like my fear was if I dare to be who I am and speak my truth to everyone, especially my father, I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to lose his love. I'm going to be abandoned. I'll be by myself forever. And so I allowed fear to just hijack my my voice. And, and four years, I said nothing. I tried to like fit myself into a box of who I thought I needed to be in order to be loved. And it was freaking painful. And so when I turned 18 is where things shifted. I basically had a choice to make. I, I decided not to go to university. And I felt my soul calling me. It was so undeniable. Something was pulling me beyond my own conscious understanding and awareness that it felt as though I did not have a choice. 
it was pulling me to the US. It was pulling, it was, it was between India and America. And it, it was so, America was so strong. I had visions wow. when I was 14 of coming to America, specifically Los Angeles, because I would sneak into my father's office in the middle of the night and, I, and he had a bookshelf and I would read all of his sort of spiritual books. He had books from, you know, Osho and Krishnamurti to Gurdjieff and Uspensky to Louis Hay and Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Madame Blavatsky and all of these mis- mystical oh, yeah. folks. And so I became so obsessed with trying to understand the purpose of life as a kid. But all of the authors, like folks such as yourself, most of them lived in San Diego. They lived in Los Angeles. They lived in California. So for me. Or Canada. 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 Also Canada. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I look at Jack Canfield, Santa Barbara, and Los Calvary City. I looked at, you know, uh, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins, Marriott, Los Angeles. And so for me, this was the the Mecca. And so my soul pulled me here. It was like, this is where you're meant to be. And, you know, sometimes what your soul guides you to do is not always convenient isn't always comfortable or pleasurable. Yes. Or doesn't always make sense to your mind, but it was so clear. And so that's when I knew I had to give up everything Mm. and I had to renounce everything. And it took me honestly, four years of just letting go and surrendering and grieving and grieving the, the heartbreak and the loss of the life I had, grieving the heartbreak and the loss of the potential relationship with my father, who was like an icon to me. And when I was 18, I looked into my future and I saw I could take over his churches and be successful. Yeah. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my soul, then what, what kind of success is that? And if I start lying to myself now to get love, validation and approval, I'm going to have to lie to myself for the rest of my life. And that felt like a soul suicide. And so at a young age, I knew what I had to do. And I had that conversation with my father, which was terrifying and heartbreaking. And we didn't speak for two years and that was even harder. And, and then long story short, I ended up winning uh, a green card in the lottery, in the green card lottery. And that's what enabled me to come to the U S and that's why I really believe like when you follow your soul without compromise, like you don't have to know where you're going to get to exactly where you need to be. But when you follow your soul without compromise and you're obedient to that, to that nudge, to that calling, to that intelligence, you will always end up in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing, even though the route that you take may not be the one you most expect. And so here I, you know, I came to the US, $800, knew no one in the country, two suitcases, an 18 year old kid. And I went and found like folks like Jack Canfield and went and found them, harassed them basically. <laughs> went to their seminar. I showed up at Jack's, you know, Jack's office one day in Culver City, knocked on the office door, walked it, barged in, and uh, refused, to, <laughs> must have loved refused to leave until Jack Canfield <laughs> saw me. His assistants were like, he's not here. And I'm like, I know he's here. You know, I'm 18 years old. I know he's here. I'm not leaving. I've been reading his, like, I felt like I knew him. Eventually, I reminded him of this in, in TLC. Eventually, he walks out and I give him a big hug and he takes me in for like two hours and we sat down. So I went and found many authors and teachers that I read about and studied with them, went to the seminars, and then, you know, cut the long story shorter, I ended up, um, a few years later, hitting a very challenging moment of my life for reasons which we can get into. But that got me to the point where I just threw my hands up to to God and said, I don't know what the hell you want from me in my life anymore. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I've tried everything to make things happen. Things have not happened. The w- I wanted to do a TV show at the time at 22 years old. I wanted to be the next Oprah. I think n- nothing was working out. And so I finally had this opportunity. I was guided otherwise. And that's when I threw my hands up and I said, I don't, God, I don't know what you want from me, but I am not, I'm going to leave America. I'm going to travel. I ended up going to walk the Camino in Northern Spain, went to mm-hmm. Israel, went to Thailand, ended up in India. And I said, I'm not coming back until I find certain answers for myself. I'm not coming back to the US until I know who I am, why I'm here, what my purpose is. And I'm tired of just like reading other people's books and information. I want to know for myself. And that's when I traveled. And it was in India that I kind of had certain experiences that cracked me open to another, shall we say, dimension of my truth and purpose. And that's when I came back as a young kid and started working with people one-on-one. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. No idea what the hell I was doing. I just wanted to help people. Like I wanted people to experience I, I had no money, no relationship, like nothing to show for myself, but I felt, I felt freaking free and a type of, a level of freedom that wasn't dependent on anything in the external world. And I wanted people to feel what I felt. And so one person kind of came and I began kind of working with them. Another person came and with a bit of time, I began to develop my own way of working with people. I called it uncoaching and people came from around the world. I love that. And it evolved from there. And so that's that's the short version. Oh, that's I could have listened to you for two more hours talk about this. <laughs> so I want to go back to a couple of things that you said and, and particularly about when we feel really called, you know, and I, I really believe that inspiration is that, you know, we, we're called by spirit. You know, spirit yes. is essential and is foundational. You know, consciousness is foundational, but consciousness is an aspect of spirit, right? That's that's how I see it. And we think that that means that we're going to hit the pot of gold. You know, ah, mm. I am called, therefore, I will not suffer, right? I am called, therefore I will be famous or I will be, I am called, therefore I will make a lot of money or whatever it is, which I've heard a million things. And I've gone through my own things. I had a TV show. I've, you know, had a record deals and I had music and oh my God, I totally, I hear you completely. And even getting that crazy green card. I want a green card too, but I wasn't ready to go. And then years later, I got this ridiculous visa, you know, that just enables me to basically do whatever I need to do. Like literally like the Red Sea parted when it was time. But what I want to talk about here is, is that you beautifully illustrate something. And that is for people who feel called and they don't really know. And it isn't about knowing intellectually. It's not about the degree that you have or necessarily the skill set that you learned from someone else. It's that you are put here as an emissary of the divine. Yes. And that when you are called, you may be going on a few detours that are painful before you get to the part of the journey where you can start a serving. Yes. Right. And, and I love that you tell that story because you're very successful now. And I mean, you speak all over the world. This is all true. And none of it was by your own design. Yeah. Right. You literally just kept following and surrendering. So, and that is, uh, that's something I think is really missing because people don't, I, I think people follow prescripts, you know, prescribed scripts or scripts that are 
sold to them by formulas, formulas sold to them by yeah. unicorns, basically that are going to yeah. tell you, I can teach you how to be a unicorn and they can't, you know? So you're running around with your, you know, like, like a chicken with your head cut off, right? Like trying to find the thing, the head that's going to fit on you when it's truly is, is that you just sit down. Going back. Okay. So when you talked about a difficult situation that came, do you just want to look at it generally as a catalyst or do you want to go into more detail on it? If not, we can move on. Ah, uh, yeah. Look, I, I, look, when I came to the U S I showed up here because I wanted to go into self-help and personal growth right. and write books and, you know, meet folks such as yourself, John Gray, Barbara DeAngelo. And so I went, I went down this path. And then what happened for me was, you know, I was in Hollywood. I'm like, Hollywood? Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, 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 and so I would watch Oprah and in, in a nutshell, I, I had this vision and the vision Colette was so intense and strong that I, I wanted to be the next Oprah and I wanted to translate personal growth for the mainstream through a talk show. And I got so obsessed uh. and attached to this idea of how I thought it was going to manifest. And I went for two years obsessively, you know, addictively, obsessively just at it to manifest, to right. make this show happen. When I say I tried to make, people will often say, oh, I did everything. They did three things. I, I tracked <laughs> down agents in CAA, William Morris. I went to their houses. I went to their yoga classes. I showed up at restaurants. I, I tracked down Steven Spielberg in a, in a soccer field. I <laughs> went and found David Geffen. I went and found Richard Branson on the street. I really like went for it in I got so much rejection. It was crazy. But I had this vision for a TV show, Next Generation Oprah. And so the last ditch was I found these managers. And, and I was so exhausted and depleted. And I'm like, God, I'm about to give up. I found these managers. These managers represented Michael Jackson, Dolly Parton, Mariah Carey, Jay Lowe, Backstreet Boys. Leonardo I know DiCaprio, who they are. You know, <laughs> and, and, and they were like big time managers. Mm -hmm. and, and I wrote a letter and they read the letter, and to my surprise, they wanted to meet me. So I went into on Sunset Boulevard. I met with these two guys, and they said, "Give us your spiel." And I gave them my whole spiel and my vision for this talk show. And they looked at each other and they said, "We're going to make you huge. We believe you." And for the first time, I'm like, "Someone gets what I get," you know. And they looked at me and they said, "Here's a contract. Come back tomorrow." Mm -hmm. And I went home. Everything I do, I have to meditate on it because everything I do, if it's not guided by spirit, it just doesn't work. And it just ends up not aligning down the road. And so I went home, I'm going to meditate, fully expecting that I was going to get a green light. And all I felt in my being and all I felt in my body, if I was honest, was no, oh, God. don't do it. Don't like, don't. I had and, and my mind, <laughs> my mind and my ego wanted to discount it, my mind and my ego so wanted it, but everything in my gut was like, no, this was the same feeling that guided me to leave my father's church. This was the same feeling that guided me to apply for the green card to come to. I know that this gut feeling is really never wrong, even if it doesn't make sense to my mind. And so when I heard this, no, I was so, I obviously, I listened and I told these guys, I'm not going to do it. They screamed and cursed me out, but I ended up feeling so frustrated and so depressed because I felt like I had this vision and yet my guidance, which never failed me, was taking me in a completely different direction. And so I listened to it, you know, and 
in that moment, it didn't make sense. But when I look back now in retrospect, you know, sometimes we have a goal, but I believe that our goals and our dreams are evolutionary in nature. Yes. Encoding them, they end up taking us on a journey. And sometimes we think that the goal is the goal, but sometimes the goal is the sort of spiritual carrot that takes yep. us on the journey so that we can learn the lessons and resolve what we need to resolve so that we can evolve to develop the mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological muscles, soul force, so that we can become the person that is really capable of fulfilling the dream and the vision. And so sometimes we get the goal, but we're not ready yet. And, and we get so attached to the goal, but the goal isn't the goal. It just takes us on the journey of becoming and then the real goal is over here. Right. But if we don't take that journey, we don't evolve into the person that's capable of going over here. And, and so I see now that the entire journey was part of like burning out some of my ego, burning out some of my desires, learning to handle rejection, learn so many things I learned along the way. But I also see now looking back that, you know, sometimes when things don't manifest, it seems like the worst thing to the ego, but it's the greatest thing to the soul. And sometimes when things don't manifest, it's actually grace. Yes. It's the love of the universe that we're not able to see right now because we just want what we want and we want it now. And, and, and now I'm able to see that, like, thank God it didn't happen. Because if it happened, number one, I don't think I was ready at that time for, for, for what that was, honestly. And that would have taken me on a different journey, but I don't think I was truly ready. And... I have a feeling that had what I thought I wanted happen happened, I probably would not have gone to India. And I probably would not have gone so deep into my spiritual, soul, mental, emotional healing at the level I was forced to go to so that I could become who I was and do the work and the depth that I do. I probably would not have if I really look back and I'm really honest with myself. And so I see... Now, how things had to happen the way they needed to happen, you know, so that I could evolve. And so I tell people, don't think that what you want is the goal. It's just sometimes it's the journey that you need to go on. And so, yeah, that, that threw me into a big depression and challenge because I had reached my, and I think this is the beginning of grace. This is yes. the beginning of surrender. I had reached my ego's capacity to manifest and make my life happen. I tried everything and now I was at the end and I just, I just threw my hands up. And that's when I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know anymore. And that's, that's when I left the country and I'm like, I'm out until I figure out certain things. And I, I really got to the place. It was scary for me. I really got to the place when I was in India where I said to the universe, I have, I don't know what my purpose is anymore. I don't, I don't know anything. And I give up. I remember being in front of the Ganges sitting and I said, God, I give up any notion of what I think I'm supposed to do in my lifetime. If it's, if it is to like, it was like a dropping of ambition, a dropping of projection, a dropping of like, I don't know. And if what I'm supposed to do as my highest expression is to sweep the streets, like, let it be clear to me. Like let whatever I am supposed to be doing in the highest expression for my soul, let that be clear. And that was my prayer, you know? Yeah. Oh, there's so much that you said. Oh gosh. So I think one of my favorite things that you said of many so far is about the fact that 
our dreams, desires, our, even our intentions are evolutionary. Yes. And the way I see it is that we're always in this partnership, whether we're aware, conscious and aware of it or not, yes. with this spiritual force also that informs us so that we have a soul and that soul is speaking to us. We don't always listen or, or pay attention or even recognize the voice or how it uses us. So often, whenever I've gone on, I've been on some pretty painful detours too, very similar, but you know, yeah. both of us are pretty, we, we have pretty big uh. failures when we have them. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then it's like, oh my God, the roller coaster. But the letting go, the attachment to the form was the thing that was my most painful lesson in my entire life. And uh, and I had that around my music career because I pursued it and pursued it and pursued it and it didn't happen. And then yeah. I kept doing my spiritual work and that was easy. And then this, but I was like, I don't really do this. I'm really a singer. Ah, I have to go over here. But P.S. God, hello, I'm over here. And then being so attached, I had such a vision. And then I had to let it go because everything failed until I just couldn't take it anymore. And then I just continued to do what was in front of me, always praying on my knees, mm. show me what you want, what you show want me. from me, like use me because I don't know anymore what I thought I was so called. And, you know, yeah, years later, I got the record deal, I got the albums and I realized, this was not for me. Like I pro proved I was talented, but it was like a very, I had the same voice you had, you know, yeah. like saying no to like, to realize this is absolutely going to kill me if I stay in this yes. business. Like I got to get out. I got to get a stay away. You know? So when the listeners are hearing you talk and my story too, that when they think they're failing, actually it may be the grace you're speaking about. It may be that it's the doors are closing because you'll be hurt by the thing you are chasing, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's usually like, if people have been pushing for a goal or a vision or a dream, and maybe it's not manifesting, right? it's not happening. Um, you, you see, we often look at a situation from the perspective or the lens of our limited capacity, our ego's limited capacity to, to make a meaning as to what something means. But right. when we look at life from a limited lens of the ego, which is based on past and conditioning and the level of our consciousness in a particular moment, we're not able to see the multi, you know, the multiple possibilities of what life is seeking to unfold. We're just looking at a sliver of reality in this moment and judging it. And so I tell, I often say, look, if something is not happening, yeah, maybe there's a few reasons. Maybe number one, the dream that you're going for or what you're pursuing is not the highest intention for what your soul is mm -hmm. seeking to manifest or experience. Through you. Through you. Right, And, and, and you. so sometimes the, the roadblock is the feedback. That's not a failure. That's no. not negative. It's just like the compassionate course correction of the universe just trying to like not, not, not here, not here, not here, just course correct you. And so what we tend to do in those moments is we tend to force and push and yep. it gets resist rather than step back, reconnect with our soul and listen more deeply to say, okay, what is the real thing that I'm seeking? I thought it was this, but this is not opening no matter what, what, what is seeking right. to happen. And so the opportunity is rather than push, step back, connect, listen more deeply, align with your soul and course correct. Sometimes when things don't happen, again, sometimes it's just timing. Sometimes it's just not the right season yet, but we want what we want and we want it now. And we get impatient and we push rather than just relaxing our energy yeah. and moving into just 
relaxation rather than tension. I think the more we're able to just relax around things and cultivate joy and enjoy the journey, the more receptive and open we actually become to allow the energy to move and allow things to come to us. The third thing is when things aren't happening that we thought, it's sometimes we have not necessarily learned the lesson right. yep. that we need to learn. Like we are souls. We, we are spiritual beings. We incarnate into this human experience. Like life is kind of a university for our soul's growth and evolution. Every single experience, every relationship is part of the curriculum serving our growth. And if that's the case, all of life is an evolutionary process. All of life is growth and learning. That being the case, sometimes things may not open up or manifest or materialize because we have not learned the lesson that we need to learn where we are with who we're with. And so that kind of all lessons are repeated until learned. So that kind of, we haven't quite learned the lesson here. So the, the energy isn't opening up for the next level of manifestation, for the next level of success. And so I think if we're able to step back rather than forcing and go, okay, what is my soul seeking to learn here? What have I not learned in this relationship? What have I not learned in this job? What do I need to learn here to resolve certain things? When we learn what we need to learn, that shifts our energy. And I think that allows us to unlock the lock to the next level of experience. And so I think that's mm -hmm. that's a key thing for people. I love this because, you know, you have a very clear, practical way of thinking about this. Okay, we have to take a little break now. More with transformational truth teacher, Coot Blackson, when we return. And we're back with Coot Blackson. So Coot, my next question is, what would you say is really the most difficult thing right now? Like I, I look at the world and I think so many people have been under so much sustained uncertainty. You know, it's been so long. Our nervous systems are shot. There's yeah. so much polarization in and division. We have racism. We have sexism. We have ageism. We have issues mm -hmm. around gender now. We have political mm -hmm. unrest. So if you look at the news, for example, and you, you know, like people define them themselves by what they read, Oof. right? So, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, unpeeling the layers of the things that we are now realizing we have to fix yeah. and change. But yeah. do you think that that's a big issue? Like, how would you suggest to somebody to, what is your way of moving beyond those things? Because people tend to define themselves by their environments and the conditioning that they have, right? So, how do you, because we have to live in both and. I mean, we can't make that go away and we can't wait till it behaves. You mean you mean the world and the yeah, kind of the, what's the, happening I, out here yeah. and the mess of the world and, and the news and all this stuff? Sure. And how we define ourselves in it. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, there's a couple of things I'll say. And I think, first, I just want to say, it's not necessarily easy being a human being in this body. Right. <laughs> it, it, and so to all of us, you know, a lot of people say, well, the world has gone crazy and mad and human beings are insane. Like, considering what we are and our conditioning and our childhoods and the, the, sh the shit we've gone through and the pain and the trauma, I, I don't know. I think we're doing okay, to be honest. Like, when I hear your story, like, I remember you being on my podcast. And when you told me some of the things, I, like, I didn't know. And I hear, like, what you've been through and the fact that you have metamorphosized into being who you are. And there's so many folks that have been through pain and trauma and hurt. The fact that we're not running around just shooting each other more and killing each other more and raging more 
honest, that doesn't condone what is no, happening. No, I get but, it. But, but I, get I just it. want to kind of like give some kudos to humanity. Like, worse. It could be a lot worse. We could be a lot more, a lot more crazy than we are. And so I think we're doing okay on one level. Obviously, can we evolve? Yes. And I think this yeah. is why we incarnate. So here's what I would say, just my thoughts in general. Sure. And, yeah. and then maybe just some thoughts as to what can we do. It's easy to look at the world as a whole and I think lose hope and feel despair and feel confused. I think it's natural. But what I will say is the world that we see out here is really a mirror manifestation of the collective consciousness of all of us, all of humanity combined. The world that we see out here is a projection of the totality of the consciousness of every single one of us combined, projected onto the screen and the play of life. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, there really is no world out here. The world in here and in here and in here is projected out here. And what we now see as this play and this movie is ourselves combined, reflected into the world. And so I think when we look at the world, we, we are in relationship with ourselves right. in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the world, I think we get to ask ourselves, well, do, do I like what I see? If I don't like what I see, you know, the, the thing that creates a sense of disempowerment or victimhood or fear or contraction is, is when we look at the world and we point the finger and we blame. And it doesn't mean there's not some stuff out there that is, yeah. you know, not cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think if we just point to this president and that prime minister and this war and that, we don't solve anything. We don't shift anything. We don't empower ourselves. We disempower ourselves and nothing changes. Right. And so what I would just invite is look at the world and ask yourself, what does the world reflect to me about myself? When you look at the president, because there's so many things about the world that you may not be able to change. You may not be right. able to change the president or change politics or change the government. Mm -hmm. But what we do have the power to do is change ourselves. And so I yeah. would invite all of us to say, okay, if the world is me and I am the world, then when I look at politics, when I look at the president, what does he reflect to me about myself? Where am I out of integrity? Where am I not living in alignment? Where am I lying? I mean, Trump is lying. Biden is lying. Where am I? Where, where, where do I lie? Because we right. may not be able to stop that, but what we can do is bring ourselves into alignment and integrity. With Where do I betray my... Well, I don't lie. Well, how many times do I say yes when I mean no? How many right. times do I, do I pretend to be someone that I'm not? This is all kind of misalignment that also projects out there into the world. And so I think if we can start looking at ourselves and go, where do I lie? Where do I, mm -hmm. where do I drop bombs? Well, the world is at war. Where do I drop bombs of self-hatred? in my own consciousness, self-judgment. Where am I so hard? What, police brutality. Where am I brutal with myself? Where do I harm and inflict pain on myself in my own consciousness with judgments upon judgments upon judgments and judgments? Where do I do that? And, and so I think if we can, you know, if we want peace on the, on the planet, but we can't call up our friend or our sister and say, hey, I screwed up, I'm sorry. Then how are we going to have peace in, in, in you know in, in Africa in Ukraine and Russia when when we won't reach out and forgive we won't reach out and you know send love because we were hurt and so I think what we can do is look at our own lives compassionately and say what do I need to shift what do I need right. to bring peace to where can I bring loving where can I heal that internal division between 
you know, in my psyche between my own disconnection from my divinity and my, and my humanity, where can I bring myself into alignment? I think if we can do that, then we shift our energy. When we forgive, when we release, when we let go of shame, when we forgive ourselves, when we bring more compassion within ourselves, to ourselves, a healing is the ability to bring loving to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. And when we do that, we shift our consciousness. And when we shift our consciousness, we, we shift the fabric for, of humanity. Yeah. And, and so I think if we're able just to start there and do our part, mm-hmm. we will be shifting the world. The, the, the second part I'll say is, and this is personal, okay? This is me, just my own perspective, what I've come to. If you're looking for perfection in the world, you will never find it out here mm-hmm. because there is no perfection in the relative. We live in the 3D. We incarnate in this three-dimensional human domain of appearing limitation. There is no perfection out here. The world is black, white, up, down, male, female, plus, minus. It's what is made up of interdependent polaric opposites. That's the nature of life. It's the physics. It's the Tao. It's the nature of things. And so when we can, I think, understand and embrace and not resist the nature of the relative and not expect the relative to be infinite, not expect the finite to be infinite, then we shift our relationship and our way of seeing the world not as something's wrong, but as just the way it is. And when we can shift our way of seeing the world as something wrong to this is the way of the relative, it's imperfect, mm-hmm. it's messy, it's up, it's down, there's, there's, there's tall, there's short, there's black, there's white, there's night, there's day, then we're no longer in resistance to it because the true place of infinite perfection is within us. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within. And I think when we tap into that depth of our own soul's perfection Mm -hmm. and live from that place of who knowing who we are, then we can move into the world, not from a place of againstness, like that's wrong, that's bad. Mm -hmm. Then we can move into the, so it doesn't mean we don't do anything. Like then we can move into the world from a place of non-resistance, less judgment, and still move into the world and take action without any againstness, but from a place of this is how it is. And I'm going to start that foundation to, you know, help with human trafficking. And I'm going to feed the children without like, it shouldn't be this way. Well, it is this way. Right. This is the relative. And from a place of compassion and neutrality, we're able to like move into the world. And I think when we can come from that place and we act from a place of groundedness in, in our soul, versus againstness, our actions don't reinforce and perpetuate the thing we're trying to shift. And plus, we don't even see it the same way, yes. right? I mean, as soon as we start to uh, realign or uh, recalibrate our internal world, you know, they, we look at the reticular activating system of the brain that's going to take our eyes and start to look to see evidence in the outer yes. world that those yes. things are true yes. when we're aligning originally with that radical acceptance where everything gets to exist in its own integrity, it doesn't have to change. It, yes. it is what it is. That's and the surrender. That is, well, you're, you, have, you wrote a whole book about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's, and it's hard to do, but nobody said, easy. no. You know, it's the pr- I think this is the process of life. Yeah. To me, this is the game, the simulation that we, we mm-hmm. incarnate into a realm of limitation, right. yep. not to be limited, 
Right. But I think we incarnate into the realm of limitation so that we can tap into and hopefully experience the unlimitedness of what we truly are inside of the limitation. Because if there's no limitation, how do we tap into the unlimitedness? Anything. The contra, right. exactly. And so the limitation, it I think, a container. is seeking to, to reveal our unlimitedness. The finite is seeking to, to, to point us to the infinite within us. And we are here to experience it in a unique way. That's the other yeah. thing, right? So it's like each one of us has our own. So there has to be a level of limitation because then we would just be everything all at once and we won't know. We won't be able to yeah. really personally experience the full catastrophe of life as what John Kabat-Zinn loves to say, when he, you know, <laughs> the full catastrophe. So what role do you feel faith plays in surrendering to a higher power, for example? Because I know that, you know, I, I believe that I don't look at a God like a white man in the sky that's angry. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't, don't look forget, at it. Don't forget the beard part. <laughs> yeah, with the beard, right? Exactly. You know, I, I feel a creative consciousness that I call God that is benevolent and loves me. And I'm here because it wanted me to be here, or, you know, whatever it, they, he, she, it's, I, I, I do, I have no problem with the word God mm -hmm. at all. And I love churches and I love, you know, I love any path to, you know, to enlightenment. So higher power, whatever the name is, but I know that I can't exist without acknowledging that, that, mm -hmm. that I am in partnership with that. So how do you tell people how to get there? You know, like I got there because of my recovery in, in alcoholism because I started in a 12-step program, you know, that 37 years ago. So I had a path that was, you know, I, I followed. What would be the way you would tell us? Yeah, I think that this intelligence is the foundation of life. Mm -hmm. And this intelligence, you know, sometimes people say, well, how do I have faith? How do I trust? Just look around, you know, just like, like I think, we often don't bring our attention to that dimension of things. But right now, you and I, even, even on a simple way, like you yeah. and I, we're breathing. It's just yeah. breath is happening. We don't think about it most of the time. We ignore it most of the time until we stop breathing. And then we're like, oh, shoot. Now, like now we pay attention. But we've been breathing throughout this conversation. Everyone listening and is breathing. Breath is happening. We don't have to believe. We don't have to have faith. But, but this is like proof that there is a intelligence mm -hmm. that is is breathing us we're not sitting here going breathe breathe, right. breathe. it's just happening in spite yeah. of us every moment and so i think if we just bring our awareness to like noticing that like what is that you know if you really just sit with like what the hell is breathing me and just start marinating on, I don't even want to say meditating on it because it's even too spiritual. <laughs> like who's just, breathing just, me? Just, just who's breathing me? Who's like, breathing me? Like what is breathing me? Like if you really right. sit with that, you can just trip out for an entire day wondering, <laughs> what, is, what is breathing? Something. Okay, it's your, we can explain it biologically. So it's lung, but, but still, like what is pumping that blood? What it's, what we eat food, you ate a, you know, a, a smoothie, a, a kale salad, a salmon. <laughs> how is it that the hand doesn't turn into salmon? How, how, <laughs> what, what happens? Right. There is an inte some intelligence. That's funny. <laughs> that knows what to do. 
trillions and trillions and trillions of cells interacting and orchestrating and dancing, processing, you know, to see color, sight, sight. Like, it's, it's really miraculous. It really, like, if we really sit with it, it is really miraculous. And I think we don't sit with it that often. Mm. We're, we don't go inside just to sit with, like, what is breathing me? What is digesting the internal processes that are happening to bring ourselves in contact with that. When we do for a moment, for me, it's, it's awe. And I don't think we do it enough, but I think if we just bring our attention to our bodies, bring our attention to our breath, bring our attention to nature. And I think that's why nature is so amazing because for some reason we love nature. We don't always know why, but it, it, it brings us into contact with mm-hmm. that something, that intelligence, like, I'm looking at the sky. What the hell is the sky? Like, what, what the, like we walk around like it's normal, right? But like there's this freaking blue sky with clouds floating through it. We walk around like, no, I don't believe in anything. Does it God exist? It's like, what the heck? Like, what is this? You know, this is incredible. Right. So I think if we just start bringing our attention to that dimension of existence and acknowledging. It's magical. It, it, Acknowledging small things, it, it's, it's, it's something, something, there's something. I don't care what you call it, there's an intelligence. Sometimes, here's, here's what I'll say that just triggered in my mind. Sometimes being in gratitude or acknowledging this deeper intelligence, call it God, call it consciousness, call it divine intelligence. I think sometimes there is an unconscious resistance to us doing that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is unconscious. There's an unconscious resistance to us being gratitude and acknowledging the grace of life unfolding and having trust and faith in that because for the ego right. to truly go into gratitude and acknowledgement requires the ego to let go. And to lose something. Requires the ego to lose the identity that maybe yep. it is the doer. And, right. and the ego's job, what we mistakenly perceive ourselves to be, the ego's job is twofold, to reinforce its existence. I exist as a separate sense of self. Jesus said, I and my father are one. He knew the code. Right. He knew the truth. But we're like, no, 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 I'm separate from life. I'm separate from the universe. I'm separate from God. And ego's like, I, I want to reinforce my existence. So I am the one that is in control of everything. And the truth is, Life is unfolding. This intelligence mm-hmm. of life. Like you cut your finger, boom. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do some, you know, funky visualization. Right. You don't even have to be a good person. You could be a drug dealer, murderer, Pablo Escobar. There's an intelligence in your <laughs> finger, right? It, no- yeah. it It's not selected. It knows to heal. It knows how to heal without any interference. This is, is source energy. And so I think the ego has, the ego's job is to reinforce its, its existence and the ego's job is to kind of protect you from getting hurt again. And so one of the strategies and ways that the ego functions is to overanalyze everything because if I can analyze everything and figure everything out, understand everything, then I won't get hurt again. Or if I'm in control of everything, like I am the one doing everything, then I must be real. I must and that's this. the interference. And that is when we get that in our own is. way. That's <laughs> yeah. when we get in our own way. I think the miracle workers like a Jesus, but even if you look at a Michael Jordan, even if you look at a, a Michael Jackson when he was dancing, Jesus said, it's not I that does the work. Not I as an individual sense of ego that does right. the work. You never heard him say, 
look what an amazing healer I am. He's, it's not I that does it. It's the Father. It's, right. it's God. The I am. It's, it's uh-huh. that pure intelligence that does the work through me. And so when we're able to get ourselves out of the way and surrender, that's, I think, when we transcend our limited ego identity, human limitations, and we tap into another dimension of life's potential. And that's when life begins to manifest through you and express through you in ways that you could not imagine and plan on your own. Yeah. And it really is about getting out of your own way. I love the when you were describing how, you know, how profound it is when we, we when we start to recognize that something works through us, yeah. you know, and, and you and I talked about entrepreneurship on your uh, podcast and, and we talk about, you know, recently so many of the people in my masterminds and my uh, membership site were like, you know, they're scared. They're trying to get their businesses going and they're, you know, especially the solopreneurs, the entrepreneurs, and everybody forgets that, you know, they were breathed, right? First, they're be inspired, yes. right, of the spirit, um, you know, and they've been required and asked and invited into this through way of evolutionary. It's an evolutionary process. Entrepreneurship is a personal growth experience mm-hmm. where you you know, you get to be creative on behalf of the divine. And when we cut ourselves off and we forget, that's when we scramble. That's when we run around, you know, and trying to figure out what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And instead of like stopping and saying, what do you need from me? Yes. What am I here to do? Yeah. The, the, the sort of old paradigm is all about, it's an ego-based model of living, which is what do you yeah. want? Get clear on what you want. Know what you want. Go make it happen. Nothing, yep. nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying no, don't, don't get clipped. The challenge is we don't ask, well, who is the I that is wanting and why are we wanting? Because many right. times you manifest <laughs> what you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And many times our goals are projections, you know, of unmet needs from childhood. I wasn't enough. I was this. Uh, dad didn't love me. So if I can just achieve that thing, yep. then I'm going to be enough. So the question which you, you're kind of inviting and, and reminding me of is, not what do I want? Because, okay, you can manifest that way, but it will often be limited. Yep. Limited because yes. you're manifesting from the lens of the ego, which is conditioned. Right. The infinite game is asking, what is it that God wants to manifest through me? What is it that, that the divine wants to manifest? What is it that my soul is seeking to express? What is the deepest impulse of life that is seeking to express through me and to open ourselves fully to that intelligence to move through us and use us, that's when the magic happens. And that's when we tap into grace. And that's when we tap into the real infinite potential of life. And that's when miracles happen, I think. Listen, let's pull a card together. Yeah, sure. Um, and wow. see if there's anything else the Wooniverse wants us to talk about. Okay. You tell me when should I pull okay. top, middle, or bottom? Okay. Um, pull the middle. Okay. 
Middle. Okay, so the card is if a cat curls around the moon. So cool. It's letting go of codependent relationships and the value of interdependence. Mm. So I'll read part of it because I think it's appropriate too because we, we talk a lot about the cleanest relationship that we can have is that with our soul. Yes. The cleanest relationship is with the I am, the, the great mm -hmm. I am that can work through us. The most difficult relationship we have is with our ego, mm -hmm. right? And the ego with connecting to others. But this is really about releasing ourselves from our enmeshments, mm -hmm. claiming freedom and independence to be your own person with healthy boundaries. And it says not to give away your power to someone else's expectations or reactions, it's most important to choose what feels right to you and to celebrate your uniqueness. So some of the pieces here remind me when we've been talking about the fact that there is a level of grace uh, when we radically accept whatever is in front of us. And this is a relationship with ourselves yes. too, I think, right? So it's that sense of when are we not true to ourself because the ego wants what it wants when it wants on that evolutionary journey that we're on. And as we are in various stages of becoming, I think, you know, we can get very attached to our vision of the way things should be, yes. including with who we're, who we think we should be, yeah. right? And and so I think this really beautifully goes along with everything you've been talking about, which is really about liberation from that. Anything else you want to add? Yes, I. You know, you, you just stirred something as you're talking. Like surrender is a letting go of when we stop trying to force life, but it's a letting go of who we think we should be the idea of what we think we should be, the idea of what we think life should be. And surrender is also the open-hearted acceptance, the, mm -hmm. the open-hearted acceptance to the process of life that is happening. Now, sometimes people confuse it with, with acceptance. And this is what, what you stirred for me just now. Acceptance, okay, it is what it is. I accept, but I'm pissed off that it is this way. I'm pissed off that things aren't happening the way I wanted. I'll accept it, but I'm going to be mad or my heart will be closed for the next 10 years, even though I'm in acceptance because I don't have a choice. But we're not open. Surrender is when you're openly participating, trusting that the experience is, is what, what is meant to be and you're going to use this experience for your highest good. Now, between acceptance and surrender is a phase that most people miss. And to me, this phase is a key doorway to true, authentic, authentic surrender. And that phase is grieving. Many times people miss the phase of grieving. Surrender is a death. It's kind of a death of who you thought you were, the way you thought things were going to be. Maybe folks listening, you know, you started this pandemic with dreams, goals, desires, and things right. didn't unfold the way you wanted. And and we're yeah. still sometimes carrying the subtle layers of grief in our heart for dreams that didn't work out, relationships that didn't work mm -hmm. out, children we didn't have, you know, the, the, the acting career we didn't get. And, and we don't even know we're carrying this level of grief that covers up an energetic layer on our heart. And that makes it hard sometimes to just open our heart and surrender to the new. And so I want to ask people, what have you not allowed yourself to grieve? Because surrender is a death. And when you allow yourself to grieve the old, you can release that energy. You can complete that cycle so that you can truly open to the new. We sometimes don't allow ourselves to grieve fully because we're afraid it's going to last forever. It's going to be overwhelming. 
we sometimes mistakenly think that, oh, if I, if I don't allow myself to grieve, then I don't have to acknowledge that, that this situation is no longer. It's kind of a denial strategy. But I think when we allow ourselves to grieve and complete things, we free our energy, we vibrate higher, and we're able to expand and receive the new, the blessings, the possibilities, the new joy, the new aliveness, uh, the new magic in life. So what have I not allowed myself to grieve? Let yourself grieve fully, not wallowing in the emotion, but experience the sensation. Take the label off of grief. Experience the sensation as energy in your body, knowing that all sensations and feelings you allow yourself to experience fully will dissolve right. and will have their natural cycle. But grief is a portal to true surrender. And many times in an effort to be spiritual, in an effort to like law of attraction, vibrate higher, we don't acknowledge the grief and we don't realize we keep ourselves stuck. Yeah. I want to add to that because you, especially when you said the law of attraction piece, because I think that the earliest versions of what was taught was about acquisitional and, you know, it was an acquisitional thing. I'm going to go get that. Mm -hmm. Right. And this mm -hmm. is about actualization. You know, so yes. uh, I love the differentiation around your language too. So I, I was sort of thinking about radical acceptance, which is different than acceptance because you're right. So when I, radical acceptance is that open-hearted surrender because we don't, we don't even try to change it. Yes. We say you are allowed 1000% to be exactly as you are. And I accept this with grace. And I do think that grief is hugely, uh, mislabeled or and mistaken for something to avoid. Um, I've had to yes. go back to do grief work around areas of my life because I kept pushing forward, thinking that I would go faster than my life could catch up to me. You know, so uh, anyway, everybody, you have to read this book. You have to read. You have to go see CootBlackson.com. Uh, oh, my gosh. He's got a podcast. I'm on it, too. <laughs> and he has so many offerings. It's so fantastic. And as always, you can find a transcript of the episode, quotes, all of the links, and so much more on our show notes page. So go to ITWpodcast.com or click the link in this episode's description. Wow, wow, wow. Coot, you are extraordinary. What an inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love you lots. So what did we learn today? It's really my favorite question to ask at the end of a podcast. And I mean, well, one thing is Coot Blackson is one of the most extraordinary spiritual teachers walking around today. And, and uh you know, when he talks about the magic of surrender, it really is the portal to our possibility as human beings. It really is. Please go get his book, The Magic of Surrender. You won't be able to put it down. It's so life-changing. Until next time, I'm Colette Baring-Reed. Be well. Time to share the way we love. Become the ones we're dreaming of Inside the Wooniverse is a production of Wooniversal Network Studios A special thanks to our recording engineer Chris Dupuis Executive producer Connie Deletti Story editor Julie Fink And audio post-production by Lonnie Carmichael Original theme music written and performed by Michael Seifert at Summa Recording 
Original music Truth Begins is by Colette Baron-Reed and Eric Ross. And all other music is courtesy of APM Music. Keep up to date on episode releases, giveaways, and special offers by signing up for Colette's newsletter at itwpodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another episode of Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine.